welcome to a new episode of A Fire Inside Out. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Jeff Cork. Hey! Jeff Cork, we're here today to talk a little bit more about Beneath the Black Palms. We feel like we need mm-hmm. to get more off our chest. Nay, how about we go straight to one of the men themselves, Jade Puget. Welcome to A Fire Inside Out, sir. Hello, thank you for having me. This is a dream come true. Thank you for being here, Jade. <laughs> My pleasure. I mean, I'm just stunned that you would respond to a pretty much random email and agree to be on this fan podcast. I mean, what's your level of fan interaction these days? I saw you did that Instagram live a little while ago, which was fun. Like, what's the what's the satisfying level of fan interaction for you in the quarantine era? It's hard. I mean, you know, being that we're all in quarantine, so I can't really interact with anyone other than social media, which I have a love-hate relationship with, and I have a fun, hard time really keeping up with, so... I feel like that's the only time I really get to interact with people, but I, I, I do my best. I try. Yeah, that's nice. Okay, so you just released a new album, uh, The Blackout, or at least the first side, Beneath the Black Palms. I'm curious, like, where you go for feedback. When you release an album like that, are you just searching your own name, searching the album's name on Twitter? Where are you looking to, to get some satisfying feedback? Well, you may not believe this, but I don't. <laughs> I don't ever Google myself. I don't look for feedback. I don't look for reviews. I don't look to see what people are saying. I just, I don't know. I just don't do it. Is that like a place where you're like, I don't care because ultimately I'm making my art or is it more like if I see stuff that I don't like, it's going to wound me severely and I don't want it. I don't want that right now. I, I've been in the band AFI for many years and I've seen everything there is to see about <laughs> You know, like we've been a divisive band at different times, maybe forever, maybe since the beginning. And so I've seen a lot of trash talking about AFI. So nothing really affects me on that level anymore. I don't get really wounded because I've sort of seen it all. Yeah. When I, before I joined AFI, before I was asked to join AFI, it was kind of right when message boards and that type of thing started happening mm-hmm. for, for bands at least. And, you know, I was friends with those guys, so I would go on their message board and I would see people talking shit about AFI and it would make me so enraged because <laughs> I hadn't built up the immunity to seeing online trash talk yet. I, you know, I still, I was kind of like a, I guess what a senior citizen would be now where they don't have the immunity of seeing stuff online. And so it just makes them so enraged. <laughs> so I was like, I wasted all of my being enraged before I was even in the band. So by the time <laughs> you know, I'd been in, been in the band for a while, I'd sort of seen it all, heard it all, heard all the trash talk, all the insults. And so... If I was to go online and see something that was like, you guys suck, Black Audio sucks, these songs are terrible, I'd be just like, you know, okay, fair enough. That's nice. Uh, I mean, does that relate even to professional reviews, like outlet reviews? Do you check those out? I don't. And I don't, I'm not purposely trying to avoid them because I fear that I'm going to see a bad review. I just, I don't know. It's, I've always felt like reviewing art is a difficult thing and art is so subjective and some art more than others, but I always, I feel like music is a very subjective thing. And you know, what I like is not what another person's li- person likes. And even if I have a vast amount of knowledge about music, it doesn't mean that my taste level is somehow better than the next person. So, you know, what? if I get a good review, great. If I get a bad review, you know, that's that person's opinion and that's valid. Yeah. Well, we agree that you can't review art. So thanks for coming on our podcast where we review each and every AFI album. <laughs> Jane Fugit. <laughs> Hey, you know what? That's your prerogative. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> now, look, I'm not I'm not pointing fingers. There's no blame game going on here. 
Hunter did listen to a few episodes of our show. I'm curious, have you ever heard of this podcast? Has it ever floated across your radar in any way? Well, when you just hit me up, uh, whenever that was last week, I guess, yeah. um, I, I went and looked at the, or listened to the last one you did, which was the Black Audio one. Interesting to see you guys aren't really fans, not really fans of the record, not really fans of the band. Well, uh, so, you know, that, which is fine. Which is fine. I'm not calling you out or anything, but it's interesting. Interesting take. I don't think I don't think that's a fair take. I hope it didn't come across too negative. It's just one of those things where it's like, hmm. I think we both came to the same conclusion a couple times actually though the last couple episodes of I would love to hear uh some pure instrumental stuff from you. Is that something you've you've considered recently? So you're just not a fan of of the of Dave. See, this is, me. I mean, this is, this is a problem to say. We're, hey, we that's love, fine. I'll, I'll take that. No, we love you guys so much. Of my life. Oh my God. No, we love the, we love the band. We have a whole podcast about it. Obviously you guys are so incredibly important. I just think with Black Audio in particular, I, I don't know. There's something about the vocals that I feel like it's almost a little bit distracting from the music in some ways, in some instances. I mean, you know, I would, I love the music that I get to make with black audio just on a personal level. It's, it's super fun and super rewarding. So I would like to do that. I actually set about, I don't know, four or five months ago, trying to put together instrumentals for the extremist record we did. Um, just because I felt like that was some of the most insane music I've ever written and recorded. So I wanted to do an instrumental version of that album and probably get around to that at some point, but black audio would be pretty easy just to strip the vocals off. Yeah, I'm, no need to actually do it. But I was just thinking it'd be interesting to see at some point. Because I know you've released like some music that you've posted on your own site where it's uh, it's you singing and stuff. And I'm curious if you're interested in doing more solo stuff overall. I've actually, over this quarantine, been writing a bunch of songs that I sing on. And I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily doing it to release it. Maybe I give it to someone else or maybe it's for Black Audio or something. But I'm actually, I feel compiling some good songs, at least in my opinion. It might be terrible, but I'm actually excited about some of this stuff and I don't really know what to do with it, but it's, it's, uh, it's a fun exercise at least. That's one of the questions I have for you, Jade, actually, is you seem like you have such a reservoir of creativity that you tap into. It seems like you've got so many projects. Like, How do you compartmentalize? Like, A tune comes into your head and you're like, okay, this is something that is more of an AFI thing or this is more of a black audio thing or this is maybe something for someone else like how do you know where to put things i think it's important not to try to compartmentalize and just let things fall where they may you know there's always the the classic case of the song um love black winter which i just couldn't remember that song for a second um (laughs) that was a black audio song and Mm. it was always meant to be a black audio song and then for whatever reason we just tried it as an afi song and ended up being one of our most successful songs we ever released. So, uh, you know, if we had just been like, okay, that's black audio, that can't be AFI, then mm-hmm. that wouldn't have happened. And so I'm, I just let things end up where they end up. And, you know, sometimes I, I, I score commercials too, sometimes when I'm just, you know, when I have free time. So some stuff might end up there. Wait, really? How long have you been doing that? Oh, well, 10 years. That's amazing. Do you have a list of the commercials? No, I don't really put that out there because, you know, it's not really something I'm, I'm like 
not that I'm embarrassed of it, but it's just mm-hmm. not, it's not like a something for the fans to listen to. Really. I don't think it'd be <laughs> that interesting. It's a fun as a songwriter, because like you say, I, I love writing music. It's writing for commercials is really interesting because, you know, first of all, it's a 30 second piece of music usually. Mm-hmm. And it's always something different. Like one time you'll be writing hip hop. One time you'll be writing country, you'll be writing rock. So it's it's really like an interesting creative thought process that goes into each one of these because it's always keeps you on your toes but i actually enjoy it i don't have that much time for it but it's fun yeah that's amazing i mean it seems like almost a stepping stone to doing tv shows or films is it something you'd like to do more in the future i i've kind of dipped my toe in a little bit i just don't you know being a primary songwriter for the things that i have it's already so much that to do other things is I did a little bit for um, Vince Vaughn has a production company. I actually don't even know if he still has that production company, but he was developing some stuff and I did, you know, I scored some sizzle reels for him and some other stuff like that. But it's just like, once again, I don't have that much time to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you say that you've been writing music on your own and you're like, I don't know what to do with it. It's like, well, I think the world knows what you should do with it. You should release it. Is it just a matter of just the marketing and the packaging of it is kind of, it's just less fun of a process there. No, because like you say, those songs that I put up of just myself singing, I didn't, you know, I didn't have to do any marketing. There's no packaging. There's no real effort involved other than just putting it up on a website. So if I wanted to do that, it's an easy outlet for it. But I just don't know that, I mean, do people really care about that? I don't know. Do people really want that from me? Jade, (laughs) I I mean... I mean, this is a small glimpse into your life is just seeing you like on the Instagram live chat. Like people are clamoring for more music, for more insight from you. I know it's nice to be humble, but I don't know. You can release it without feeling like an egomaniac. I think there are a lot of people that would love to hear some stuff just from you. Well, I've got a lot, so don't. You might get what you wish for, and you may not be so happy. That's the fascinating thing is I feel like in a lot of interviews you're always teasing how many songs you have written and how many unreleased AFI songs there are at some point, is there just going to be an atomic bomb going off of just AFI music? Is at some point, is there some death switch somewhere where all this stuff is going to get released and we're going to be drowning in AFI music? No, I mean, I just don't think that's a good idea. You know, like you don't want to see too much music from any band. Like even my favorite bands, I don't want to see them release a hundred tracks. It's like, Mm -hmm. and there's a reason you know, yes, we have a lot of unreleased AFI stuff, but there's a, some of it, there's a re- reason why it's unreleased. So it's it's not like we have a hundred or we, it's not like we have a thousand genius AFI songs that we just set it out to release. You know, like every, you know, the, you have some misses. I'm sure mm-hmm. the Beatles, you know, had a lot of misses they just didn't put out. So I don't want to unleash a bunch of B material on people, but there are, you know, obviously I'm biased here, but there is a lot I believe a material that has never seen the light of day that i would like to see the light of day at some point yeah and do you have any plans for that do you think there's some way safely you know down the road to release all that stuff without impacting the the afi legacy it's like we always the last several times that dave and i've sat down to write an album it's always like okay we'll write we have all these great songs that we haven't released yet let's just write you know, six songs and then put six ones that we already have. And then we always end up writing a complete album, new <laughs> material. And so 
And then the process starts again. Then we have even more songs that, you know, are unreleased. So now we're sitting on this kind of treasure trove of songs that I really love that I'd like to see get released. And I don't know how to do it because, I mean, and once again, now we have a new album that we've written that is unreleased that mm -hmm. hopefully we'll be, we would have released next month if this hadn't, all the stuff hadn't happened. Um, but so now we got that. We have a new album of new material. So then what, when did these other songs get released? Who knows? Yeah. Probably when I die. When I die, someone needs to come in here and get my hard drives and just do what the hell they want with it. If you just want to give us your address real quick, Jade, we just appreciate it. Just <laughs> type it in the chat here in the Zoom call. We'll take care of it, man. Uh, that's, okay. I mean, that's the fascinating part of this process overall is, you know, in interviews you've talked about how you've created the last several AFI albums where you overwrite and then trim it down. And, you know, I think in one interview you were talking about how bizarre it is because a lot of those songs are different ends of the spectrum, even in genre. So you could really create an AFI album that is any direction you want just from the batch of songs in front of you. Do you want to talk about that process of how you select the songs to define the vibe of a new AFI album? It's difficult, you know, like a lot of times, or at least a couple times, we've sat down at the beginning of writing a new record and been like, okay, let's try to write a cohesive album because, you know, like take Nevermind by Nirvana, for instance. Right. That's an incredibly cohesive album. Every song sounds like it belongs together. Every song has the same drum tones, essentially the same guitar tones. It sounds like it was from the same session. And there's something to be said for that. And we always just end up writing just so many different things stylistically just all over the place. And that to me is what is rewarding as a songwriter. I just can't stop doing it. And I know that sometimes to our detriment that our records can be really eclectic and it doesn't have one aesthetic, but it just, it's too boring to me to write one type of record. So it always ends up like this new record is no, is no different. It's mm -hmm. like, it just, that's, and with black audio too, it's like, I don't want to focus and write one type of thing, but you're right. There is like Dave and I had talked about, we have punk songs, like enough melodic punk songs to have a record of just that and good ones that I, that we really like, but I don't know that we'd ever want to do that. I, I can hear a thousand fans screaming right now saying, please, <laughs> for the love of God, do that. You know, we like, we'll salt them in there once in a while, you know, something that's kind of like, you know, in the punk realm, like, um, it's funny that I can't remember the names of any AFI songs. <laughs> well, even something um, like Dumb Kids on Blood Album, right? Exactly. That was what I was trying to think of. Perfect. Okay. Like something like that. Like, you know, our the way we write punk these days is like that. It's more of a nod to, say, like 70s, late 70s punk or, you know, Buzzcocks or early 80s stuff like, you know, that we listened to when we were kids rather than the punk of, say, AFI in the mid 90s. Yeah. I remember... In an interview for Blood Album, you mentioned. Oh, sorry, by the way, we're uh, we're super fans. I don't know if you picked that up by the amount of interview references, <laughs> but it's almost like we recorded a whole podcast about you. But uh, in this interview for Blood Album, you're talking about Dumb Kids and how much you're looking forward to playing that live just to see how the crowd reacted. I'm curious now, in retrospect, did that song pop harder than you imagined live, or was there a different reaction than you expected? Um, it was pretty good live. I I did think. It would be, it's like this whole thing with writing songs and thinking they're going to go over a certain way a lot. It never, your ex expectations are never met. It either is better or worse. So it's interesting, but we played it 
a lot on, well, I don't know about a lot, but we played it several times on the Rise Against Tour because Joe from Rise Against loved that song and he kept bugging us to play it like every night. And so like, he, you know, we played it for him. And <laughs> it, it's, fun to, it's fun to play. I mean, I don't want to say the place exploded, but then once again, that was kind of like a, it wasn't our tour. So, you know, maybe we right. play that more headlining. We get a different reaction, but some of the stuff, you know, like um, still a stranger, that really goes over great live, huh? And that's kind of not as like proto punk as as uh, dumb kids, but still kind of in that world a little bit. Yeah, I think it says a lot about the band creatively that you're not following the audience. I think it would be easy to. Well, not easy, of course, but, you know, to, to have a tour and then figure out, okay, what songs are really working with the audience? Which ones are they reacting to? Let's try and rate more in that flavor. Like, do you, have you ever thought hard about why you're so attracted to the, I don't know, what's the, what's the word, Jeff Cork? Uh, like the menagerie? Yes, there we go. Yeah. Well, like I say, it's, it's almost like what I was talking about when I write commercials. It's writing, I've been writing music now for so long that, it it's more rewarding to really grow and reach out, expand, try to do just have a completely open palette when you sit down to write something. You know, maybe I'll sit down at, at a piano or keyboard, bass, guitar, synth, anything, just drums. I don't want to limit myself to, you know, okay, this, this is going to be a punk record. This is going to be like a Depeche Mode style record, or you know, I, I just need to be able to do anything and that's a great thing about writing with dave and you know the partnership we've had for so many years is we've just been able to you know often we'll just sit down at the beginning of a writing session and just be like mm -hmm. all right what, what should we do let's just like one of us throw out something like an influence or a an idea a feeling and we, it could take us anywhere and it's fun to do that it's it's great not to have any real boundaries on what you're doing i'll, I'll say like as a listener uh, when we started the podcast, Hanson was a super fan from the beginning, and I was not familiar with AFI's music. Although, in retrospect, I learned that, yes, I had played Miss Murder in Rock Band, so I knew that <laughs> song from that. Idea. But, but yeah. anyway, so we went by, you know, and you get kind of... Anyway, as a listener, I think it's always interesting to, to hear an album from AFI, but just like what you're saying, is you don't know what it's going to be from song to song. It reminds me, in a way, of listening to... not not the same music, but like, like listening to a ween album, you know, where it's just like, it almost jumps genres from track to track. Like, like crash love. Uh, the first time I heard too shy to scream, it mm -hmm. just about stopped me in my tracks. Cause I was like, my brain couldn't handle it for a second. It became one of my favorite <laughs> songs on that album because it just came out of nowhere. Uh, so I think as a, as a person who's grown to really appreciate what you guys do, uh, that is one of the most exciting things about it. Even like if there's a song where I'm just like this, I see what you guys are doing. It's not for me and that's cool. But like, I, I like being surprised constantly. Yeah. You know, I always preferred the growers, those songs that aren't mm -hmm. necessarily immediate, but yeah. maybe you come back to it and it, 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 it takes a while. It's like a journey to be able to appreciate it. So, you know, I'm fine with that because an immediate song, if you, if you get it right away, then I think the attraction and the appeal of it wears off a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that might just be my own self-justification for writing songs that people don't like right away. So, No, there's something, absolutely, this slow burn. There's something <laughs> to be said for that, for sure. And also, like, like you, you may have thought that we were kind of harsh on the your latest release, but I was thinking the whole time, I want to see this performed live. 
because I think that will be the switch that that flicks in a weird way for me. Because we saw you guys when you were here last, and even when you were playing songs that hadn't really clicked with me before, just you guys are so much fun live. Thank you. Yeah, it, it, I can't speak highly enough. Yeah, I would recommend like anyone who's just even remotely interested in just seeing a good show to go see F- AFI or Black Audio because it's just so much fun. It is fun. And Black Audio, you know, for me at least, I don't know what it's like to be in the audience, but it's such a different thing with Black Audio. And AFI is more of a, you know, depending on what we're playing, more of a visceral thing. But Black Audio is just the party the whole time. And it's mm-hmm. a really the vibe is very fun and positive and uh yeah i i can't wait to at some point play these new songs i don't know when that will be or when we get to play any songs from any band ever but <laughs> yeah yeah has there been a temptation to do like the the zoom performance or is it just like that is so far removed from the energy that we want to bring to a show that we're not even going to do that yeah you know like right when this first started like back in early march I, I, uh, texted Adam and I was like, Hey, let's, let's do this thing where we each will play a song, an AFI song. We'll each be like in our own space playing it. And then I'll like put it, I thought it was like this genius idea. And then immediately every band on the planet was doing it. (laughs) And I like realized that I had not come up with some super unique, cool thing. It was what everyone had already thought of. And also, I just realized it wasn't going to be cool for us, at least. It wasn't going to be a good look. It wasn't going to sound good. And so I just abandoned that idea. (laughs) (laughs) Has it happened to you with like a song where you've written what you think is just like a really killer melody and you play it for someone? They're like, oh, that's this song that already exists. Uh, Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, you either do that on accident. Yeah. Because, you know, everything's been written. We're, We're just working in the Western music these same scales, these same notes that, you know, at some point someone has written it or mm-hmm. you, a lot of times you accidentally rip something off because you have a, you know, as a music appreciator, a music listener, we all have a million melodies and parts stuck in our head from a million songs and a million bands. And you can just write something. You're like, Oh my God, this is so good. Like, I can't believe I wrote this mm-hmm. only later to realize you just unconsciously cop some thing from the eighties or something. <laughs> yeah. What are the, who are the gatekeepers for that type of thing? Is it just the other members of the band or just people you play the music to? Like, it's gotta be so scary. I feel like you want to almost like give it a fact checking pass at some point and just double check it before you release it. You know what? I feel like obviously there's lots of, I can't pull the quotes up right now, but a million quotes from people like, you know, Leonard Cohen and people like that are like, you know, steal, take it. That's what we do. Yeah. I don't ever want to steal on purpose or lift stuff, but if I wrote something, a melody, a part, and I authentically wrote this part, I wasn't stealing anything, and it just so happens that it sounds like something else, I'm not going to get rid of it because I feel like I, I feel good artistically having written that part because I did not purposely steal it from someone. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. Um, so uh, should we call him Davey? Should we call him Dave? I don't know what to do now that you're here. I think it feels weird for him when people that, you know, he has not known for a long time call him Dave because it's like I've known him for, you know, probably close to 30 years. So unless you've known him that long, I think it feels weird for him to be called Dave. Yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, let's just settle back on Sir David Havoc. And so he has talked about go. in interviews <laughs> that he's found himself 
you know, he's like, I want to write in a different way. I just get stuck in these molds that my brain can't get out of creatively about, you know, writing about stars. I think he had a couple examples where he's like, I would <laughs> oh, yeah. love to shake it up, but I, I just, it's locked in there. And I'm curious if you have a similar thing. Do you find yourself falling into these grooves of songwriting again and again? Yeah, a little bit. Luckily, it's more of a very general, like at certain tempo. You know, like a long time ago, we wrote, fast songs, very fast songs, a lot of very fast songs. Most of our songs were fast. And over time, you know, the band just sort of like, we've done that. Like how many times can we do that? And so we started not writing super fast songs. But if you have sort of this limit of your, the tempo you're doing, but you want to do a, a sort of up-tempo song, but you don't want to do something that sounds, you know, like a, something that would be on an Art of Drowning, then you kind of reach this this level of tempo and sometimes you kind of top out. It's like having a compressor on your tempo. And like, so you, a lot of songs, I try not to have the songs fall in that same tempo, which is fast, but not super fast. So sometimes I'm like, oh shit, like, you know, there's six songs that have generally the same tempo. Yeah. And so do you ever challenge yourself? With like, I'm going to write the slowest song AFI has ever tried to write right now. Well, I... I've found over the last few years that I really, really love writing slow, mm. moody, dense songs. And I have to realize like, you know, people aren't going to want to hear a bunch of these, even though it's kind of like, maybe it's, I've always loved stuff, obviously like Mogwai and Godspeed You Black Emperor, you know, Sigur Rós, like I love slow, moody music. And so I really have to fight to not bring too much of that into AFI. But, you know, I, I like to have at least one or maybe two on every record because that's really where the music speaks to me when it's really dark and really slow. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what do you wish people paid more attention to when listening to your music? Is there anything where it's like, you know, I know you're not glued in for feedback, but are the things that's like, God, I wish people appreciated this aspect. Not really because I don't want somebody to tell me how to enjoy what I listen to. Yeah. And so if you're missing something that I intended for you to hear, but you're enjoying it on a different level that I hadn't expected or intended, then I think that's just as valid. And, you know, I, if someone is dismissing a song for reasons other than the song itself, like, Oh, this sounds like this band or, you know, I, I don't know if they're dismissing it on reasons that don't seem very valid, then I would be bummed on that. But if it's, you know, I, it's like Dave's lyrics, the way he writes them, it's sort of open to interpretation. And so if you, you can enjoy them however you want, whatever meaning you want to ascribe to those words is valid. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, no, yeah. No, it definitely does, for sure. The uh, So it seems like you're really enjoying Black Audio. I'd imagine part of that's just, it's got to be liberating to not have the legacy, the full legacy of AFI, to be a little more creative, be a little, little more experimental, a little faster as well. And it seems like, you know, as you've been releasing Black Audio albums, have you been wanting to kind of push or pull AFI as a band in that direction as well, producing the albums yourself, just eliminating a lot of middlemen and just having fun and getting back to the music here? I mean, yeah, it would be nice if it was as easy to do AFI as it was to do Black Audio. And, you know, I've been producing the AFI records for a while now, um, or at least co-producing. I mean, I co-produced 
or at least executive produced Sing of Sorrow. So it's been oh, actually wow. a long time since I've been since I've been doing that. So that's definitely something that I think will continue. But you're right as far as you know, sitting down to write Black Audio, there isn't that legacy. The legacy of AFI is a very weighty thing. And it's probably even more weighty for Adam and Dave, you know, who've been at it since they were 15. And to have, you know, Black Audio never went through a, any kind of really big stylistic shifts. So we don't have that informing what we do with AFI. You know, it's like we have all these eras of the band that are really mm-hmm. sort of looming over you when you're trying to branch out creatively. And it's it's not always the easiest thing to navigate. It's interesting you say that, but at the same time, I mean, when these albums can be shotgun blasts of different styles of music, it seems like you are liberated from, you know, that legacy weighing you down. We are, because we have to force that to happen. We can't let ourselves start making music because this is what we think people want. You know, I don't think any band should do that. And that's like the death of creativity to me. It's like, I would rather fail doing something that I thought was pushing the story forward than to sort of retreat and do something that's safe it's like people probably want to hear this this is safe this will get a good reaction i just i don't see the point of that and you know dave is especially very big on not being a legacy band mm-hmm. like anything anything we get offered or asked to do where it's like hey like go out and play art of drowning in its entirety yeah now, that might be fun for me and it might be fun for the fans i don't think it'd be fun for him but you know, I think he's especially it's important for him for us to be a viable band and not just be a legacy band. Yeah. So not a legacy band and not a Halloween band. The two pillars of AFI. Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm a little less like I'd like to go out and play Halloween. That Hell cover. yeah. That was a fun cover. But, you know, <laughs> I can, but for Dave, it's a, it's a little different, you know, like he's got a different the way it sort of affects him is different than the way it affects me. So, you know, do you think that's just the challenges of singing some of those old songs physically or is it just philosophically it's probably more philosophically and the physical part is true i mean you know when i joined the band and you know we immediately the day i joined the band we started writing black sales so Mm. you know it was immediately like a learning experience and the first thing that i saw was you know he's writing all these melodies that are so high screaming at not just singing at the top of his range He's singing in a high B, which is like, you know, that's like operatic. Not only singing up there, but he's screaming in a high B. And I, none of us, neither he nor I, should have, he should have thought of this, but we, that, neither of us thought like, you know, is this a good idea? Should we change the key, should we change the key of the song? Like we didn't think about being in our 40s and doing these songs. So like, mm-hmm. you know, to be in his 40s now and have to go out and sing something that was even challenging as a, you know, a young man. And I remember when we did that record, we asked Dexter Holland to come sing backing vocals. And that guy has an insanely high voice, as right. anyone knows. Mm-hmm. And he came in to do backing vocals and we're doing, I don't remember what song it was, maybe Prayer Position or something, but he's like, in between takes, he's like, man, this is insane. I can't hit these notes. This is, <laughs> like, I have a high voice, but this is high. Like, I can't do this. And that, that's when I started getting this inkling of like, whoa, maybe this is, this is smart. I don't know. <laughs> is this too <laughs> And so now we, we, you know, it kind of sucks because I feel bad for him because, you know, I think we'd be doing stuff like say totally immortal. That's difficult for him to do, you know, and he, you know, he had surgery on his voice because of 
having this thing like that. Yeah. On a much, much lighter note, uh, with you, you know, producing the albums more, having a bigger hand in it throughout the last couple, we've noticed a decline in the O's. Uh, Jeff Cork, I don't know if you'd like to, to hit the note to explain the O's I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank uh, you. But it's interesting that in live performances, I, I noticed Davey still slipping some of those in. It seems like, because even, I'm trying to remember the specific instances, but there's moments in the last couple of albums where it's like, it feels like an O could have gone here mm-hmm. and was snipped out, but then it's in the live version. Is that something that you're like, oh, I don't know if we need this anymore. Do you want to talk about the evolution of the O's, please, Jade? I don't know where the O's came from. And I could, you know, I could uh, give, leave, Take, give, leave, take the O's. <laughs> I could take or leave the O's. I'm not saying the O's suck. I'm not saying we need to keep doing the O's. And there was even the song, it might have been on this newest record, where he did an O, and I was like, okay, we've done the O. So I like flipped the audio around, so it was a ho. Oh. <laughs> but it didn't sound very good. So I <laughs> Go back, we release all the albums, all the O's are ho's now. Uh what can you say about the new album? Is it, I mean, we know it's a similar style of Blood album and that it's going to be, a Scattershot sounds derogatory, but Scattershot in a positive way, experimental, creative, free-flowing. Um, anything else you can say about the direction that you think the, the album's going in? Um, it's eclectic and there's some stuff on there that we haven't really done or we don't really have songs that have sounded like some of these songs. Um, I've actually kind of stayed away from it for the last few months. I want to go back and listen through it again when I have a little bit of objectivity because it's being, you know, a writer and then a producer and then putting it together in such a close and personal way, you really lose your clarity sometimes. So I need to step back and and re-listen with fresh ears. Do you think that there's a chance then because of the quarantine that you'd go back and re-record stuff or make tweaks? Do you think it's going to be an interesting you know, I don't know, second second pass on the album here? I don't think I would re-tweak something. I mean, maybe I would be like, I want to write a new song to replace this one. That would probably be more likely. Because oh, the album is mixed and mastered, so it'd be difficult to go back and re-record and tweak something. It'd have to be a really egregious error mm-hmm. where I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. And I don't think that's going to happen. So yeah, I would probably mm-hmm. be more inclined to be like, you know, let's write some more material, try some new stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, as the album as a whole, what was your, what were you thinking about it the last time you did listen to it? What was your takeaway? It's like, oh, it's much more blank than I expected. I think the one thing that struck me, I went out for a walk around my neighborhood and listened to the whole thing. It must have been right after it got mastered or something. And I, I remember thinking like, this album's weird. <laughs> that was like my takeaway and not weird not weird and like oh what have we done but more like oh, this is like a weird album like but in a good way yeah i mean i'm thinking about even blood album and like you know the last track on that album it is it feels like something a sound that you haven't done before so a little bit more in that vein of just okay refresh my memory what is the last song on uh the album? wind that carries me away okay yeah did that See, now that that is a see a sort of a different song than we have done but in and of itself, it's not a weird song, but there's some songs that are actually weird on this record. I love just like two minutes of growling weird. What are we talking about here? Okay, not that weird. Not okay. glass. Nothing like too weird, but it's like I never know how people are going to take 
the songs anyway. Like, you know, I heard on the Blood album people saying that it sounded like a sort of uh, throwback to Sing the Sorrow or something. And to yeah. me, I was so baffled by that. Like, I don't know. I really have no, I'm so subjective in how I view the stuff that I write and the stuff that we write. It's just like, so I don't know how what other people are going to think of this because it's always, we put a record out and it's, I don't know if it was maybe Burials. We put that out. People were like, whoa, it sounds so 80s. And I was like, 80s? <laughs> that, hey, where did you get 80s? I had no idea that, that that would sound. And I'm not saying that that's not valid, but I just like was was stunned that that would sound 80s to people. So I have no idea how people are going to take this. Maybe they're going to be like, whoa, this sounds like Slayer or something. I don't know. Yeah, the throwback stuff with Blood Album. I'm trying to think, maybe it was like, the fact that it was self-titled at first. And so I think that might've been our take is like, oh, it kind of feels a little bit like AFI going down memory lane and kind of sampling different eras from their past and making new songs roughly in that vein. But it's nice to know that you didn't exactly see it that way. Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely wasn't <laughs> our intent. So, uh, yeah. but you know what? It's like, once, once again, you never know. I lose my clarity on, on this stuff so early on that by the time it comes out, it, yeah, I have no idea how people are going to receive it. Yeah. So are, when you are done recording an album, is, or is that something, this is like kind of nuts and bolts, but it's a question I've always wondered, just like a touring band, do you have to maintain like regular practice so that you know that when you're going to be playing it live, you'll be able to play everything or do you take a long break, leaving everyone just kind of scatters and you, when you guys get back together again, when you're like, okay, now we're going to be launching this tour. So like a week in advance, we'll refresh our memories or. AFI is a very strange band and, you know, other friends that I have in bands, they rehearse like a lot and it's just normal. You're in a band, you get together regularly and rehearse and AFI, we never rehearse. Mm -hmm. We literally will rehearse once every like year and a half. Oh, wow. And, so we'll be about ready to go out on a tour and we haven't, you know, played in a year together. Mm -hmm. So we'll start playing and we get about six songs in and I'm like, oh, okay, I think we're done. This is probably good. <laughs> and it's not that I don't love playing because when I get on stage, yeah. it's like so fun. We just don't need it. I don't know if maybe we've been together so long that, mm -hmm. and then we get out there and play and, and it's great. And it's like, we're not all rusty and falling apart and having to stop the song in the middle because we didn't rehearse. It's like, I just think maybe we have this connection now as musicians that we don't need to sit there and hammer these songs out and actually it makes it more fun live because we haven't been playing them to death in the rehearsal room and yeah. it's all really fresh that is really surprising because it you guys do not sound like you don't practice very often we do not practice <laughs> we literally i'm not even it's not even hyperbole to say that we would practice once every year or year and a half yeah. for like 45 minutes wow it's mind-boggling. Do you feel like... So then you, are there moments when you have, like, the, you guys are putting together a set list or something, and then you're, like, everyone is just kind of nodding to themselves, and you're like, wait, which song was this? And then someone's like, oh, I'm glad, glad you said that. I don't remember this one either. Well, you know, a lot of times when we're on the road in the last... For the last several years, you know, we started throwing in a lot of old songs and, like, songs that we never played before. Mm -hmm. And that stuff, you know... I usually make up the set list sometime during the day after I get out of bed and before we sound check and I'll just be like, okay, I'll text everyone. Cause we're all in different places around the venue or wherever. And I'll be like, Hey, you guys want to try this today? Some song that we haven't played maybe ever or haven't played in 15, 20 years. And everyone will just learn it right then. You know, Dave will be in the hotel room and he'll just like review the lyrics. Hunter will be, 
out getting food and he'll grab his base and go through it one time. So it's like, we don't even really get together and play it. We just figure it out on our own and we come together and it just like, it's super fun because we're almost like flying by the seat of our pants when we play it live and it just makes it that much more exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hey. yeah, we don't have to get together and, and rehearse this stuff. It's just like everyone learn it, take 20 minutes out, 10 minutes, five minutes, learn the song and we'll play it tonight. <laughs> I think the four of yours relationship is so sweet and endearing. You know, doing this podcast, it's so fun to watch you all evolve. It feels like a very sweet, long-term four-way marriage. And I'm curious, like, how long did it take to have everybody find their grooves, find the right level of comfort for even just how often you all are getting together and hanging out? I mean, was it a long process before everybody settled into, okay, to keep this thing sustainable and healthy and positive, this is our working relationship? It's it's weird because, you know, to have a band that has been the same lineup for over 20 years is pretty rare for any band. Mm-hmm. And it's not doesn't exist that much. And or at least a lot of those bands get to a place and we've all seen it, that everyone is so bitter. Everyone hates each other. Everyone can't stand to be in the same room with each other. And it's like part of the AFI dynamic is, first of all, Adam and Dave have been friends since they were in early high school. I've known those two. We grew up in the same town together. So I had known them. We've been friends. And so there's a, we don't have blow ups. We don't have these fights like other bands might have where someone blows up because, you know, something's been festering. Everyone is very polite with each other and very, we just don't have that kind of acrimony. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing because you know you blow up and you start saying some stuff that you know you can't take back and then it's over or and we don't and the other crucial thing is you know we don't do drugs we don't drink we don't have that part of it that gets in there which is obviously probably breaks up more bands than anything else yeah so there's these things that we've avoided that have allowed us to be not only a band for so long, but be harmonious with each other. And certainly there's things that we argue about or get on each other's nerves about because, you know, when you're in a tour bus or a van for months on end, you know, you get on each other's nerves, but we, like a family, we've learned to weather these things and figure out how to coexist with each other. Yeah. You know, Dave and I, I've said this before, Dave and I, we've been writing songs together now for over 20 years. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time face to face writing music together and we have never in over 20 years had an argument while we're writing, which is to me bizarre to think about, even though I lived it. It's a, that's we never bizarre. argued one time, one time. Really? We're always, and that's probably why we're able to do this is because we're, we don't have like writer ego. Hmm. It's just like, we don't fight for our ideas. We don't, you know, if it's like one person's like, I'm not that into that. It's like, okay, cool. Let's do something else. I mean, you're just really good at, yes anding each other of like oh okay let's take that and add this or is it just a matter of okay davey wants to take this song that direction that's fine i'm cool with it yeah but i mean you know we also don't let each other like if someone's doing something that's super whack you, you don't just be like oh i don't want to say anything I just let this happen yeah you, know, you can't do that either because then you know so we're honest with each other but it's like i think we keep each other in check enough and we don't have that ego where it's like someone tells you what you're doing isn't good and you start bristling and being like, well, I actually think it's really good. And then that's where things <laughs> get, they gets really better in bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or someone comes back from a vacation and they're like, guys, I've discovered Calypso music and steel drums. I think we should put them in our next song. <laughs> and I'm going I, I on down. 
<laughs> I'd be da- I'd be down for that. Yeah. <laughs> we we certainly have differing music opinions, and you know, if each one of us had complete autonomy to say where the band would go, I'm sure you'd have four different bands. So mm-hmm. certainly, we have to sort of synthesize what we all like. Yeah. About you know where we want to go. Yeah. The part I'm trying to wrap my mind around about the band relationship is, you know, in interviews you talk about, okay, you know, you and Davey will go up to the standard in LA and just write an entire album. Don't you feel like, I don't understand the relationship then with Hunter and Adam. Aren't they like, hey, can we, can we hang out too? Can we contribute to a song or they get their chance with, you know, laying out the drum track and and bass track or how does that relationship work? I mean, they certainly contribute, obviously. It's just... I don't know. I mean, the writing dynamic, like I say, since I joined the band, it was just Dave and I writing, you know, at least the skeleton of the song together. And like, it was never established that that's how it should go. And it wasn't like, and I never demanded like, Hey, I need to be the one in here writing the songs or no one was like, I just, it just, that's how it happened. That's how it developed. And I think when we started writing music that everyone in the band loved and we were having success. I think it was like, this is clearly the best way mm-hmm. to do it. Now, if Hunter and Adam were to come to me and be like, Hey, this next record, we want to write this one. Like you sit back and we're going to write it. I'd be like, Oh, hundred percent fine with that. Like I have no, I don't have any ego. Like this all has to be for me. This has to be my music. I have mm-hmm. to be the one. It's just, this is the way that it's worked. Mm-hmm. So but once again, like I would, if those guys wanted to write the record and have Dave and I sit back, or if it was Dave and Adam and Hunter, I would be 100% cool with that. That's nice. Everyone's just kind of found their groove that they're comfortable with. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Here's a, here's a dumb, simple question for you, Jade. Uh, can you remember the hardest time you laughed with the band? <laughs> Touring or doing anything, just like one good communal gut-busting moment? I mean, there's been a million. So I, I, uh, like my brother Smith was our tour manager for a long, long time. And he's just so hilarious. And so a lot of times he's providing this comedic relief for us, which is, you know, he's always doing something insane and funny. So I've, we've shared a million laughs just about him alone, but <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, it's not a serious a serious scene backstage with AFI mm-hmm. or on the bus or anything. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's lots of laughter. It's like the first time you heard that world war two is very important to me song. That was uh yeah, I still, sometimes I thought I'm listening to my iPod and I have it on shuffle. This MC Stan school pop up <laughs> and it's just it's like shocking. There's lots. I there's, there's like several MC Stan school songs that will never be heard, but man, that stuff is, that stuff is something else. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> That, it's such a fun idea to think about you guys, you know, being silly, but then so many of the songs are so serious or abstract. Do you want to talk about that juxtaposition? Do you ever think that the outside world thinks you're more serious than you In really the videos are? videos and stuff, too. Right, right. Well, I, I think, you know, Dave and I have the same sort of approach in that from my earliest memories of of experiencing music and discovering music i was always drawn to the darkest minor chord the most somber that was always and no one i don't know i guess that's just something that is inherent in whatever my brain chemistry is like that's what i respond to so as silly as we may might be or could be or are 
when it comes to music, that's just the stuff that's always we've been drawn to. And, and so that's why it comes out. And then, you know, the visuals, you can't have a silly video over something that's like very <laughs> serious and dark. I mean, I guess you right, could, but right. So, you know, one informs the other. So I guess that's why that is. Do you think there's a certain amount of, you know, this, this sounds more locked in than I'm sure it is, but a certain amount of playing a character for the stage is like, Oh, this is, this is a character that goes well with the music. So I should try and act this way because it's a, it's a cool character for a, you know, a rock star to be. I mean, not with us. Yeah. It's one thing I can say about Dave and, which I have always been in awe of is that he is so authentic. Like he's not doing any of this as some kind of a put on, as some kind of a character, as some kind of a trying to appeal, as trying to do a certain thing or have a certain look because it's going to benefit him or the band. Everything he does is comes from a very authentic place. And sometimes that can be hard for the band because he won't do things that might benefit the band, but if he doesn't feel them authentically. And so, you know, that's why a lot of times he, you know, we don't play a set of all old songs because to him, when he's up there, he has to feel what he's doing. And if he's singing songs about key lime pie, like he can't give it when he doesn't feel that, you know, like he has to Mm -hmm. be able to feel the emotion and he has to connect with the emotion that he had when he wrote the song. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like emotions are coming through in your guitar playing as well? Do you feel like, eh, I can go through the motions to a slightly easier extent for playing old stuff? I love playing old stuff. Yeah. (laughs) So it's very enjoyable to me and I'm probably the one that loves it the most. So maybe because I'm quote unquote, like the newest member, (laughs) even though it's been over 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. They still rub it in your face. I get it. Yeah. I'm like the Jason Newstead. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I never up there going through the motions. You know, I don't want to play something where I have to go through the motions. So if we're playing something that's from some record that came out, you know, 25 years ago, I'm having a good time. And it's really enjoyable to me. Yeah. I would imagine that when you were on stage and you play the opening chords of something and you watch people's brains recognize what it is. And if it's like a song that people are like super into, that has to be one of the most amazing feelings just to. Oh yeah. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I, it never gets old playing live. It's a weird thing. It's like you could be on tour and say end of a grueling tour or something's going on in your life where you're just kind of over it. And you're like, I can, you know, I'm just like, I'm not feeling it tonight. I'm just like, it's hard. And then, you know, five minutes before you go on, it's like, it all changes and you're just like so excited. And I've never stepped on stage and been anything but excited. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's strange to me. I'm actually surprised that i could still feel that after so many years yeah. and every time I, we go out on tour again i'm like wow this is still so fun and so rewarding to me when i step out on the stage and and when we play something like you know when we were played red rocks on i don't know if that was our headlining show there but whatever that was we, when we played <clears throat> miserea as our opening song you know we hadn't played that song in a long time over 10 years yeah and just to play that in, in that type of venue at Red Rock, which is super, super magical. And I mean, that was, that was incredible. That was an incredible moment just to see people hearing the song that they probably thought we would never play again. And then to be playing it there, it was, it was really special. Yeah. Got it. So you, fit, you finish your last song. You guys walk off the stage. People start clapping rhythmically. They want an encore. 
Okay, Jade, what are you guys doing back there? Are you just standing there waiting, <laughs> like looking at your watch saying we got to give it 45 seconds and then we'll have the drum tech come out and like tap on the something and then what i am so fascinated with the process of encores i mean it i guess it depends on the band i mean i always thought no effects is funny when they they do this thing i don't know if they do it every time but they start to walk off stage and they take their instruments off and then immediately turn around and put them back on and come back and do the encore (laughs) but for us it's really we we want to know that people actually want us to come back so if people aren't cheering Mm -hmm. and clapping and it doesn't sound like they're actually calling for an encore. We're not going to come back out. Like you've really so played a show without an encore. Yeah. Really? It doesn't happen very often because knock on wood, we're lucky yeah. that people usually want an encore. Yeah. But yeah, if, if people aren't cheering, we're not going to come back out and be like, we're doing the encore anyway. No way. I just assumed that was like the Washington generals winning. Like that just isn't possible. <laughs> no, I mean, no way. If, if literally if people weren't, if we went, if we left the stage, and people were not cha- clapping and cheering for whatever yeah. reason they were over it, we would we would never come back out. We're not going to force ourselves yeah. on the crowd. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, we're not, it's like, that's why it's, it has to be real. It has to be authentic. Yeah. It has to be an actual, it's not just like built into the set. It, yeah. It might be writ- written on the set list, but that doesn't mean it has to happen. Oh, and I, you're like, oh, I guess they're not going to hear Miss Murder tonight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, hey, if you're not excited to hear Miss Murder, you're not going to do it. <laughs> I love the idea of the four of you just like ears against the curtains, just like, eh, it's kind of on the line. I don't know, guys. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, we'll be about ready to go back out and the, and the applause will die down and it'll be, we'll be like, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe not. And then it'll build back up again and like, we'll be like, okay, let's do it. So it's, yeah, it's, it has to be real. It has to be authentic. I mean. Okay, so I am not, I am not a fool when I cheer and yell. <laughs> i'm no, doing my part no. okay good for, yeah no for real yes. yeah <laughs> it's necessary you need to clap to keep tinkerbell alive jeff cork it's very clear <laughs> yeah uh do you want to talk about the release of uh beneath the black palms what the strategy was uh just to drop it out of the blue the discussions you had about the most interesting way to release this thing yeah i was before i jump into that i was going to relate one story of revolving around the uh, encore oh please we were playing we were playing in warsaw and we had never played there before and it was like freezing ass (laughs) poland winter as you can imagine and we played and we did an encore maybe we even did two encores because the crowd was like amazing and we're like okay this is done the set is done they started packing stuff up i went to the bus i was undressing and the people like would not give up and they're still clapping and, and I can hear them. I'm like not even in the venue anymore. I'm like outside of the venue in the bus and I can hear him in there. And I like just didn't even finish putting my clothes back on. I just ran back in the <laughs> venue and we had the, you know, we went back out, our, our stuff was half broken down and then we played a couple more songs because you know, the people want it, the people want it. So just know that if you're a fan and you want us to keep playing, if you demand it, we're never going to leave the stage. <laughs> we'll stay we're gonna, all night. We will keep coming back out until you're so sick of it. Various states of undress. That, until you're so sick of us playing that you have to leave and go home. So anyway, okay. So so uh, the record, the new AFI Black Audio, sorry, Black Audio record. We, you know, we weren't, we didn't have this master plan of putting this record out right now during this quarantine, but. You know, as it became apparent that we weren't going to be able to put the Black Audio record out, we just 
we're like, I was talking to Dave and we're like, let's do a, let's do like a, put out a few black audio songs. And of course we can never do half measures. So it went from there to, you know, let's do an EP and then let's do a record. Let's do the whole thing. And so I, our management was like the whole time they're like, Oh man, come on. Let's just do a couple of things. And Dave and I were getting more and more amped up and like more and more grandiose. And so it ended up being a full length record and we got the artwork and did every, did the whole thing. So what, I'm why, excited that we ended up doing it. Why is management what, what, saying no? <laughs> they weren't saying no, but you know, they thought, okay, you're just going to do like a, put a few songs out for the fans. And then we started just coming up with all these, you know, very involved schemes and ideas and like, because, we, you know, once we get on a roll, you can't stop us. <laughs> <laughs> and part of the scheme is let's drop half the album to surprise people? Well, yeah, it's like we've never done a, the surprise release thing before. And we didn't really mean to do it like, you know, Taylor Swift just dropped her album right. like a, or, Beyonce or Beyonce or something like a real surprise release. But we were just like, we're not going to do a, some big marketing campaign or something. We just want to do something fun for us, something fun for the fans. And we're just going to put it out and people get to listen to it. It doesn't need to be a big involved thing. Yeah. It, it's that simple. Would you ever do a surprise drop for the new AFI album? I wouldn't be against it. I mean, I don't know if it's ever a good idea for us to do that. Maybe it makes more sense for us to actually do some kind of a buildup. But I, if, if everyone wanted to do that, I would have no problem with it. Yeah. Could be interesting. It's easier. You know, it's easier when you're a, you know, Beyonce or Taylor Swift, because you don't need to let everyone know you're putting out a new record. Everyone's going to know, but right. you know, other bands, most bands, it's makes more sense that at least the marketing thing, the, the lead up to the record is to let people know that you're putting out a record. Cause it's hard these days. Or, you know, you think people would know, but they, it's hard for people to find out about stuff. Yeah. I mean, are you still being booked? I mean, when the new AFI album comes out, are you going to be doing a press tour? Is that still something that music industry does? I mean, we've never done that. So yeah. I, I guess people do it, but yeah, I don't think I have. We did the black audio on the first album in 2007. We went out and did a press tour, which is interesting because it was black audio and it was kind of fun, but that's the only time I've ever done something like that. Is it just frustrating that everybody just wants to ask about AFI? No, I mean, I'm used to that and it's understandable. A lot of people, even now, I mean, black audio is literally... We may have put our first record out in 2007, but we started Black Audio in, I think, 2001. Oh, wow. So this thing, it's been almost 20 years of this band. It's, you know, a lot of people still have the perception of it just being an AFI side project or, you know, not a real thing, just like a, a casual hobby. So we'll always have to deal with that just because AFI is more of a, a more what people associate us with. Yeah. Do you think there's a chance Black Audio will outlive outlive AFI? I mean, it's possible because there's only two people. So, yeah. you know, if, if you know, maybe if I'm doing that. Yeah. If, if, you know, someone in the band dies or something and it's not me and Dave, then yeah, I guess technically. <laughs> well, that's a nice note to end on. <laughs> Jeff Gork, do you have any other questions? <laughs> I, I guess the one question I had is just like, technology has evolved so much over your career would you have thought like when you were starting out that you'd be able to do as much as you do now independently like just getting together with uh sir david havoc and recording music and being able to put it out there without a huge you know industry machine behind it kind of leading the charge 
No, I mean, the, the advances in technology, advances in modern technology, if you will, um, that have happened since I joined the band have, I mean, for any band really, and for any musician, it's made it so liberating to be a songwriter and a musician. It's the things that you can do now and the things that you can do on your own. At the same time, it's been obviously with music and people not paying for music. It's also made it incredibly difficult to be a band, but mm -hmm. as just as for the creative process, being able to do what you can do now and, and release the music and create the music, it's, it's actually very freeing and, and very inspiring. Does it scare you if you think about like what percentage of songs would have been lost forever if you didn't have like the notes app on your phone where you could just like, <laughs> hum into it? I know it's, it's, I, I'm actually kind of bummed that if this technology, like my ability to, to demo songs and to write songs just on my own and to get the idea down in such a, an advanced form, if I would have had that on Fox Sales or Art of Drowning or Sing the Sorrow even, you know, there would have been so many things, like things that I wrote that would have not just been lost to time like it is now. I mean, I still have some cassette tapes that I recorded of, of you know, hours of guitar riffs and stuff, but, you know, I would have liked to have preserved some of that stuff in that era, but, it, you know, just didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wild. Well, hey, um, we hope that the business is sustainable and we hope you keep writing music forever if that works for you. Hey, works for me. <laughs> okay, great. I, I hope this all ends so that you can come to Minneapolis and we can come see you live again. <laughs> it would be fun. We always we always love coming to Minneapolis. They guess still got that like a kind of like crust punk pizza place. Oh, what's the know. pizza place? It's like the crust punk pizza place that's like around the corner from First Ave or the venue there. Oh, not not Luce, is it? Or not no. Mesa Pizza. I don't know what the crust punk pizza place would be. I feel like a Minneapolis. It was like run video. by like a punk collective or it was like somehow associated with a punk collective. Weird. I feel like we're being, yeah, we're letting you down, this, man. I don't know. Is this before you guys' time? Am I like old time in you? <laughs> I wouldn't think so. I don't know. Look, we'll figure it out. We'll put it in the show notes. Okay. We'll crack that code. Uh, Jade, thank you so much for doing this, man. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Yeah, this was Thanks great. For having Thank me. you. Yeah, and uh, if we could yeah. leave you with any message, it's, you know, feel uh, feel free to release some solo stuff. You know, feel motivated. Know that there is yeah. an audience out there that is very curious, not as an insult to anybody else in the band, but I think it would just be an interesting experiment and we'd love to hear, you know, what a solo project would sound like from you. And what have you done for us lately? <laughs> True. We True. want more. <laughs> hey, at least I got, if I got at least two people that are wanting to hear it, uh, that's enough for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with this podcast, you know, charting the history of AFI, at a certain point we realized, well, this is the story of the rise of Jade here. <laughs> from the outside. That sounds like, that sounds menacing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was our takeaway as well. <laughs> we were effing scared, man. <laughs> no, Jade, thank you so much for all your hard work throughout the years, man. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, cool. Thank you so much. Thank and thank you okay. for listening, everybody. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this very special episode of Fire Inside Out. We'll be back in the future, hopefully the near future, to review more AFI. Hey, until next time, everybody. AFI! AFI!